Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Welcome, my friends, to today's episode. Pastor John Hallowell and myself will be talking about the subject of the evangelical mind. In 1994, Erdman's published a groundbreaking book by historian Mark Knoll, and in the first sentence of the first chapter of that book, Knoll writes this, the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there is not much of an evangelical mind. He goes on, an extraordinary range of virtues is found among the sprawling throngs of evangelical Protestants in North America, including great sacrifice in spreading the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, open-hearted generosity to the needy, heroic personal exertion on behalf of troubled individuals, and the unheralded sustenance of countless church and parachurch communities. Notwithstanding all their other virtues, however, American evangelicals are not exemplary for their thinking, and they have not been so for several generations. So today, as I said, I am joined by Pastor John Hallowell, and we are going to be discussing Knowles, uh, sort of this, this big idea or this history of the evangelical mind and how we got to the place where Noel felt he needed to write this book a couple decades ago and its resonance with our own time. So, John, welcome to today's program. Thank you, Dave. Pleasure to be here. And, John, you have more experience on the side of ministry experience, personal experience, a little bit of evangelicalism, um, but both of us have ministered in that context, in that milieu, especially in Southern California, um, for the duration, really, of, of our ministries. And so we're speaking out of uh, things that we feel sort of biographically or as ministers in this American evangelical context. But what we want to do today is we want to kind of go back, and we want to kind of figure out how the evangelical mind or the lack thereof kind of came to be an issue in the American context. So, John, where would you think would be a good place to sort of begin our story? Well, I think Noel's uh, work points the way. Um, there were two things in, in the scandal of, of the evangelical mind that, that really bothered Noel. And, and I should say that he had a heartfelt um, hurt. He described in the book that this hurt him. It hurt him at his heart because he, of course, is a great mind. He's been a great mind, good writer, tremendous historian. Uh, and he realized that, that uh, what was happening uh, in, at the time in 1994 was, was just sinking again evangelicalism into this um, cycle of being discredited and it hurt him. And he, he said that evidence that the mind was gone came from a couple of factors that he pointed to. One of them was a book by Ronald Numbers in 1992 called The Creationists. And Numbers' uh, book uh, basically revealed the history of anti-evolutionism. 
and, and, and that term itself is very descriptive because uh, numbers uh, tracked back how the ideas that were presented uh, to defeat evolution uh, early in the 20th century were actually just a reaction to evolution. They weren't really cogent ideas. They weren't, um, they weren't ideas that were based on intellectual honesty and something that was credible. Uh, he tracked back um, uh, how at the uh, trial of, um, of the Scopes trial, he tracked back how Williams Jennings Bryan had represented uh, evangelicalism as being against evolution and that evolution was wrong and could be scientifically disproved. And so Numbers, uh, who was himself the son of a Seventh-day Adventist preacher, uh, he was particularly um, revealing about the dynamics of, of uh, this idea of, of creationism and its, found, its foundation, geological catastrophism. And uh, Numbers re uh, remembered that Williams Jennings Bryant at the Scopes trial was asked to defend uh, the, the view counter to evolution, and he said scientists are against this, and he was pressed what scientists, and Jennings Bryant named a few, and one of them had died uh, a long time ago, and he didn't know that. So him being a, a politician, you know, uh, Jennings Bryant was three times Democratic candidate for president who failed, and he could, he could give the political rhetoric, but he had no real scientific background. So um, uh, at any rate, <clears throat> one of the uh, names he mentioned was uh, George McReady uh, Price. And uh, Price was, was a Seventh-day Adventist geologist who was scandalized and was in Europe and was pretty much mocked for his idea that uh, catastrophe causes the fossil record that the fossil record looks like the earth is really old and says the earth is really old, but it's really just because there was a catastrophe and it just scrambled everything all at once and layered it, made it look layered. Um, so Price had already been discredited by the time of the Scopes trial, but Jennings Bryant didn't get word of that. And so he brought his name up under, under trial. And the result of the whole thing uh, was basically that uh, the, the trial was won uh, by the evangelicals of the day, represented by Bryant, but the American uh, concept and idea of evangelicalism uh, running society was, was just a disaster. Uh, all credibility had been lost. So you're talking about this moment that Noel is pointing to, and we're talking about the Scopes Monkey trial, right? Yes, 1925. Yes. Yeah. Uh, state of Tennessee passes uh, a law that says it's it's illegal to teach human evolution in yes. state-funded schools, and and the defense or the the one who's arguing on behalf of that uh, anti-evolution law is William Jennings Bryant, who not a scientist, not trained in those things, but quoting sort of sloppily uh, people who have either been discredited or people who are. Are, are gone and not even making contemporary arguments about the issues, but wins that case, right? There's, yes. there's a victory there um, for what we would call, is that a fundamentalism? Is that, is that yes. the birth of that moment? Or is well, that... Uh, no, it's not the birth of the moment, but it, it is the essence of fundamentalism. And that is 
that fundamentalism is a reaction. Uh, it, it's a reaction to the loss of control of culture by evangelical Christianity. It's a turning toward uh, a cycle that is repeated in history that began with the, with the establishment of dogma. So um, George Marsden, who wrote Understanding Fundamentalism and Evangelicalism, uh, he tracks... 1990, it, so this yes. is just a few years before the Noel book. Yeah, he tracks back into uh, the 19th century, uh, the Gilded Age, be the time between the Civil War and World War I. And by the way, the Gilded Age, that was Mark Twain's terminology, uh, that, that uh, in, in some ways... Uh, evangelicalism, historically evangelicalism, was flourishing because of the Second Great Awakening, uh, early and mid-19th uh, century. Okay. In some ways it was flourishing, but the culture itself was, was uh, not flourishing. It was becoming corrupt. Uh, and, uh, Marsden points out that there were two presidential assassinations in that period. There was an impeachment, stolen election, uh, political and business corruption was was tainted by greed. And he said that there was a veneer of evangelical Sunday school piety covering almost everything in the culture. And that the rhetoric of, of virtue and idealism, it couldn't get to the core of what was what was on people's mind, which was materialism. Okay, so Great Awakening, first half of the 19th century, second Great Awakening. Yes. Talking about the Wesleys, you're talking about, uh, well, wait, no. Yeah, you're talking yeah, about Charles Wesleys. Finney. Yeah, Finney, mm -hmm. you're talking about um, a real, genuine camp meeting transformation, yes. uh, explosion of piety, uh, societies that are trying to help uh, reorganize um, sort of American habits to be more uh, focused on sort of ordinary Christian devotion, how we live our lives, mattering, things like that. And you're saying the Gilded Age, which is, what, a couple generations, maybe one or two generations removed from maybe the high point of the Second Great Awakening, that, that only a few decades out from that Second Great Awakening, something's congealing that has the, the skin of yeah. a pious-sounding idealism but underneath it is this corruption or this growing mounting consumerism. Like you said, Twain's language for that is the Gilded Age of these sort of robber barons and all these kinds of... Um, yes. So guilt-edged kind of social appearances. But underneath that, Marsden's pointing out, was this real sort of moral and growing consumerist kind of corruption. Yes, and the culture itself was, was infested with this corruption. But, and, it, and they were overlapping. The historically evangelical... Okay. Subculture was big. It was the it was the biggest component of the American population still, um, but the the um, the corruption that was coming in, and and uh, the things that were happening was causing the culture to just go its own direction and minimizing the voices of the evangelicals. They thought they would have profound influence and that uh, Christianity would dominate. And, uh, and that they would basically be able to uh, guide America into a, being a Christian civilization. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, was the original idea. Uh, John Winthrop, the governor of Massachusetts, felt that we should have a Christian civilization. And the way to get that was to have a culture side by side with, with a Christian uh, body of Christ that was thriving and walking with the Lord and could inform the culture and shape the culture in, 
in a sort of a loose way, not a controlling way, not a revival of Christendom, but a new way of, of, uh, of, of people willingly, um, you know, willingly wanting the Christian way because they could, they could trust it. It was credible. It was the best way. So you're talking, when you mentioned Rinthop, you're talking about now the founding era of American society. Of yeah. Puritans <laughs> in the North coming in New England and having a robust Christian faith alongside a robust cultural expression without those yes. being exactly the same thing. Yeah, and so you begin to see these, there's this pattern, repeating pattern in history. Okay, okay so the original, uh, those original Puritans, uh, they had problems with their children and their children's children. They weren't believers. Right. They weren't pure. And so they realized that uh, they, they couldn't just govern a Christian nation. They had, to, they had to find a government that could govern all people, including their children and descendants, <laughs> so who weren't yet believers. Within a generation... <laughs> Not even two. Um, they're seeing their, their own kids and grandkids not uh, be fully devoted to the faith. Yes, and so now yes. they have to say, wait a minute, we can't just have this lockstep Christian society because our own family members and these generations that are coming are not even necessarily fully Christian or at least not yes. completely devoted Christians. Yes. So now we have to have a society that has room for people to find the Lord and yes. to find those things, but it is not pushing out, for example, the Puritans' grandchildren exactly. from belonging. And, and so now we're in the first Great Awakening right. where you have someone like Jonathan Edwards who has this, this mind where he can explain things theologically. He could take the preaching of George Whitfield and say, this man is calling us all to Christ, the, the historical evangelicalism of America, but Edwards could explain it. He could uh, explain it theologically. He could put it in the framework of the Calvinism of his day. Uh, and he could convince uh, all across all segments of Christianity, he could convince everyone this was a Jesus moment. So you have the first Great Awakening, and then you have the establishment of the government, which is supposed to be side by side, not Christian, mm. but it's supposed to be there for all people mm. until all people come to the Lord. Right. So, so <laughs> Edwards, this moment you're talking about the first Great Awakening. Yes. This is before 1776. Is before the founding of this country, of this government, constitutional government, everything else. And there is this. There's a, a revival. Yes. Of, of some basic kind. George Whitfield comes over, is preaching up and down the coast, um, and then Edwards is in New England, as you said, to this day regarded by some as the greatest philosophical mind in America, mm -hmm. in American history. So a titanic mind, but a minister in Massachusetts, um, and he sort of gives theological credibility to this revival movement that's coming out of Whitfield's preaching. People are returning to a serious devotion to the Lord, and all that happens before the founding of the country. Yes, right? and, and also it happens on the heels of the, of the debacle, which was... The, the Salem witch trials, mm. the, the knowledge that, uh, that uh, Christians can't control everyone because Christians are prone to this blind spot of, of spiritualism, mixing up spiritual discernment, insight, uh, getting carried away with judgmentalism, and just uh, basically making a fiasco of their own ability to govern. So you're saying for, for Edwards, or at least in that generation, they have this touchstone moment of the, the, the previous Salem witch trials in which they see a form of governance that is, that is uh, this sort of lockstep Christian judgmentalism 
um, where where Christians have all this this judgment authority over life and death and are taking testimonies that are erroneous and are completely confused. Many of the people involved in these trials later confessing and repenting for being caught up in it and, and for literally consigning women to their death who did not deserve that. And you're saying this moment was, was sort of a bright uh, or a dark um, spot, but a spot that was important in the consciousness of Christians like Edwards, et cetera, who come afterwards yes. to say, we, we don't want to do that again. Yes, and, and even uh, Judge Sewell, the famous judge who said, I can't be a part of this anymore. We were wrong. Mm. So, so the echoes of that uh, called for a pure, humble intellectualism that Edwards could bring. And though he was totally sold out to the Lord and the purposes of the Lord and believed in absolute divine sovereignty, he recognized that there needed to be credibility also. It was dangerous if there wasn't. Uh, it had these kind of consequences. Yeah, being so, swept up into hyper spiritual decisions. That yeah. so so then he he won the day, and so everyone went along with the revival. Uh, Jesus was promoted across all different uh, forms of Christianity in America, and then they said we need to make a government. We're throwing off this right. uh, hegemony from from Britain. And, and we want a government. And so the establishment of the government was done with the aid and the help of that Christian mind, that mm. Christian credibility. And so the institutions of government were created. So, okay, so fast forward to uh, uh, the Gilded Age. So end of the 19th century. Yeah. In, okay. so, so fast forward to uh, the, the middle of the 19th century. Okay. And you have you have um, another revival having having gone second on. great awakening second okay. great awakening, but th because of the forces of immigration coming, the potato crisis in Ireland. Those are my people. Yeah, um, uh, uh, things coming from uh, the European continent and and elsewhere. Uh, th the culture can't be controlled. It's expanding everywhere. Along with things coming in are ideas of German intellectualism. Criticisms of the Bible, right? Higher uh, criticisms, the higher criticisms. Uh, Darwin, evolutionism, ideas of, of of creation that were counter to Christian belief. These things are all coming in, and the reaction to them uh, is is um, slow at first, and then and then really strong uh, later. That's where the fundamentalism comes as a reaction. How, are, how do we get control back of this culture? It's, right. So the steps are, look to dogma first. Uh, By dogma, what do you mean? Uh, beliefs that are irreducible. So for the fundamentalist, it was uh, the virgin birth, uh, the, uh, the death of Christ, the atonement. Um, they, there were things that were, that were just, they, they just could know that these things are, are true, and we are going to insist upon them within Christian belief. Unshakable, these are the things. Right. Yes. Okay. And so, so the original uh, step was dogma. We're going to weed out Christianity first. Anybody who doesn't believe this is on their... They may be calling themselves Christian, but they aren't really Christian. Okay, so first roll out the or throw down the gauntlet and say, okay, this is what it means to be Christian. Who's who's not not this? Yeah. And are find you out what our own are you for like. us or against okay. us? Okay. So then after, um, after the uh, uh, dogma comes out, then there is a political attempt to gain control. 
And this is where the Williams Jennings Bryant comes in. Williams Jennings Bryant sought to bring biblical truth to law. Okay, right. And, and so you're in a trial scenario, you're in a courtroom, you're deciding Tennessee state law. Yes. And, uh, and, and, so, um, and, and so it's a political attempt to, to get back the control of culture. Um, so, so meanwhile, you have these other um, isms uh, going on. Um, you, have, um, you have dispensationalism developing in Europe, which comes to America as, as a, uh, a form of, of history. It's, an, it's a view of history that, yeah, these things were going to happen, uh, the times were going to end, and, uh, and, and that the society is going to decay, and there's going to be a split. There's going to be those Christians that are the uh, fallen away Christians, the, the, the infidels. Okay, give, me, give me a parenthetical here on dispensationalism. So dispensationalism is a, sort of a theological framework by which someone could view history up until the present moment and, and history until the return of Christ. Born out of frustration okay. uh, in Europe, uh, the Puritan changes will never happen. They'll never take effect. Uh, no matter how pious and devout and how much you walk with the Lord, uh, this is over. It's fr total frustration. Mm. So uh, the, the Plymouth Brethren, uh, they, are, they, are, uh, uh, they are touched by a prophecy <laughs> of, of, uh, of, of this, these ages of history and the age of history we're in now, the church age. It's going to end with judgment on the church. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, we can understand the frustration this way. We stop trying and we just go along with God's, uh, God's plan as revealed in this dispensationalism, knowing that this, in this theory of history, uh, it, it's all going to end. But more importantly, perhaps for our discussion yeah. is dispensationalism saw modernism and the birth of all these new ideas, the right. German intellectualism. It saw those things as the corruption of the human mind. It saw those okay. things as they need to be resisted at all costs. So it was anti-modern. It, it was, we're going to just stay back here in this uh, early uh, uh, 19th century revival, and the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket because this is how God's ending this. Right, and so the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket, and that fits with this this theology. That yes. fits with that system. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a way of sort of reconciling them in part to the what they see as in growing chaos of the world the loss of control the loss of christian influence or whatever they would describe uh, as what they would prefer this is a way of understanding history that's still a theological understanding for them yeah that these things were only going to get worse anyway so this is what that is so now you have these two forces let's bring this together here okay you have these two forces the the dispensationalism was anti-modernist don't don't allow the human mind to develop. It's developing corruptly. It has nothing to add to God's will. Okay, so just real quick. So it's not just anti what these views that modernism is producing are. It's also anti-engaging with them in that arena to dispute in those ways or yeah. to participation. It's all anti-participation. A very important point because the resistance is only a reaction. The resistance could have been founded on fact or intellect. Right. Let's let's talk about higher criticism. Let's break that down. Let's yeah. make some arguments about why that might not always be the best approach to this or that. Yeah. Instead, it, it's a it's a refusal to engage with that kind of conversation. Exactly. And and even Charles Hodge, the quintessential uh, Protestant 
uh, systematic theologian of the mid-19th century, his response to Darwinism is, don't get all up in a huff about this. Let them explain their theory because they can't explain it. It doesn't make full sense. And why are we running around reacting like crazy? Right. And, and so his original uh, suggestion to respond to Darwinism was a, was a valid response. Even into the mid-20th century, uh, there were points of Darwinism that still couldn't be explained and, and didn't make sense. Uh, but but to to resist it on a, just a reaction, this right. has got to be wrong. Prima facie, this it's is wrong. Impulsive, yeah. Uh, is it, you lose credibility, and you have the sense that you're right because you know the scriptures and the revelation of God. But if you don't have the credibility and you don't have the the uh, you don't have the science or the response that's that's truthful, you're just you're just trying to strong arm an argument. And they would say, probably, I would imagine at the time, why would we want credibility amongst fallen human beings in a fallen culture? We don't care about credibility with them. What you're saying is that plays into their sort of, I think Noel calls it immediatism, mm. this kind of impulsive, everything's do or die right now, the end of the world could be tomorrow. So part of the desire for intellectual credibility is not a capitulation to some secularist agenda, but part of the desire for credibility is for those who are playing a longer game yes. than any particular moment's catastrophe or apparent cultural crisis. For those who are saying, look, in 100 years, we're going to need to be able to continue to engage the culture yes. and try to show them the reasonableness of these things and open up the door for evangelism for Christ. But if we put everything right now and we lose that credibility, there'll be no salt and light seasoning of witness down the road when we need it most. That's the Winthrop theory. Okay. That, that's how you get a Christian civilization that's not Christendom. It's done by agreement. It's done by, by a secular uh, a, a segment of culture agreeing that, yes, the Christian way is the reasonable way, and then... Uh, then there is this attempt uh, or, or there, there is this common ground where you can appeal Christ to the culture right, okay. and not have all the stumbling blocks. So, so tying the other end together, mm -hmm. the political um, shenanigans of Williams, Jennings, Bryan in the Scope trial was very anti-intellectual. It was, it was, hey, I don't have a science that refutes your, evo uh, your evolutionism. But it's just wrong. Mm. And I'm going to name these scientists who are not really scientists. They're charlatans. Mm. There's real no science there. But they're scientists and they have a reputation. So listen to them and we're going to disprove evolution. You, you better be teaching the Bible. Mm. So you have this resistance of, of trying to uh, uh, look at evolution and what you teach in school. You have this resistance to presenting truthfulness even in court mm. and and because it wasn't there mm. and so so you have this anti-intellectualism and anti-modernism combined in fundamentalism and fundamentalism is a last ditch effort to control culture mm. by dogma and then political um uh, but then by political strength and it it fails it fails because it lacks the intellectual component it lacks the it lacks the truthfulness that the church is supposed to uh, represent. It, the church is supposed to be the pillar of, mm. of that, and, and, and the, the truth is supposed to be the pillar of the church. So, um, so in, the, in the crashing and burning of the, of the fundamentalist movement, and I say that just in respect to culture. So 
twenties, thirties, thirties. Okay, nineteen thirties. Uh, Marsden wrote another book called Reforming Fundamentalism, Fuller Seminary and the New Evangelicalism. And he was hired by Fuller to track back the history of Fuller. Charles Fuller personally hired Marsden. Mm. said, look, your history is impeccable. We don't want a revisionist history for our school. We really believe God did something here. So would you come in? We'll give you access to all our records. And would you describe how Fuller Seminary came about? Mm. And Marsden took it on. And so he looked at these, these minds, Charles Fuller, Billy Graham, uh, Carl Henry. You know, there was a set of, uh, of, of, of men who had become evangelical giants. And uh, they, they agreed together that there needed to be a Christian mind, that, that, that uh, Christians had no respect in the world. They had lost all respect because of the Scopes trial and because of the way in which they tried to uh, dominate culture. And so let's create an institution where, where Christians can walk with the Lord, but also learn, and learn in a, in a way that's commonly viewed as, as um, legitimate, as honest, intellectually honest, and, uh, and, and then can go back and, and inform and, and be there for culture. And, and, uh, and, so and it's a long view. It's a long view. It's building an institution. It's non-reactionary. It's non-whatever, presentism or immediatist or whatever. Yes. Um, it's taking this long view of a Christian witness to society that needs to sort of slowly but carefully build a credibility amongst people, non-Christians, the world, right? Connected to the world in legitimate ways and connected to, to thinking in legitimate ways that can be understood and communicated across um, sort of religious commitments or spiritual views of any particular thing. So this long view, they're investing, this is the 30s? This is the 40s? Yeah, the 40s now, or okay. late 30s or 40s, okay. yes. So you have late 40s, and then you have Billy Graham uh, touring America. You know, you have this uh, uh, revival in Boston, the intellectual center right. of America, and, and this two-week uh, crusade is, is, is just booked out. I mean, people can't get in. They extend it a week because people can't get in. And, uh, and so the credibility was reestablished. The idea that, that Christianity wasn't a threat, wasn't a cult uh, threat to Americans. It, it was something that American culture was founded on. It, was, it, was, uh, 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 it goes hand in glove with American culture and the freedoms of America is, is the presence of the witness of Christ. And, uh, and so it was, a, it was sort of a... Um, you know, it was sort of a, another uh, example of that, that cycle, like Jonathan Edwards only. Now you had an institution, Fuller Seminary, with these great minds here who could vouch for what was happening within Christianity. And, and as you're saying, and this is Billy Graham. This is not yes. dry intellectualism. This is revival preaching. This is strong, yes. gospel-centered, calling yeah. people yeah. to commit their lives, conversion experience, become born again. Yeah. This isn't some ivory tower. Oh, this is for those people over there. This is a combination of those two sides. Yes. Christian witness, credibility with culture, but this real evangelical call to personal conversion, salvation yes. in Christ, trusting in Jesus, and it affecting your personal life now. And it was very, very well responded to. And, and it was, it was a, you know, it was a work of the Spirit to be sure. But the human components in it involved an honesty, uh, a lack of trying to control culture, an honest attempt to, to respect all people, and and to and to trust that. 
uh, reason and piety don't need to be separated. That reason and piety go together because our God reasons mm-hmm. and our God created a mind that reasons. Mm-hmm. And when those are all brought together, they are a powerful force. So, so now you 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 fast forward ahead to uh, the changing times of of the '60s and '70s, the sexual revolution. Right. So you have these these great. It's, it's, this is a parallel to the eight, to the 19th century second great awakening oh, the gilded age stuff yeah well th- that yet. too that okay. too but but remember they're going on in parallel right. there's a revival there's a there's a lot of pi- uh, a lot of uh, holiness going on right. but there's also a culture that's throwing off the effect of that right so you have the 60s and the rebellion of the 60s but you had the jesus people mm. but you also had the 70s and the sexual revolution and you have this this loss of of control and so you have this attempt to take the next step besides the dogma yeah remember you had carl henry and christianity today and you had those weeding out uh the the forces that were diluting the Mm -hmm. christian power Mm -hmm. so the next step is political and Mm -hmm. the uh, moral majority formed and they tried to get billy graham to join on sign on with them and he resisted and now we're at late 70s, early we're, 80s? Yeah, we're in early 80s. Okay. And Billy Graham uh, recognized the moment and said, I'm not joining forces. I was burned by Richard Nixon. I am not going to again unite with a political figure. Mm. Uh, I had no idea he was lying like he was doing. I had no idea. He felt he had been duped. Yeah. He had been duped. Yeah, bad. And so he rejected the espousing of the moral majority and so historical evangelicalism took a fork at that point. Billy. So, so just real quick, the moral majority, this is a movement founded by Jerry Falwell Sr. Um, to say evangelicals or, or, or what he would call, I think evangelicals maybe at the time, um, is a massive group of people that should be mobilized to um, gain political force to be able to bring into law and other things in Supreme Court and government institutions, um, Christian morality. We've we've lost the culture. Let's take it. Okay. Let's take it by war. So okay. So you're making the distinction that the culture is going in the direction of 1670s sexual revolution, and so the culture, just popular perspective of the body and all these other things, are what those people at the time, Christians at the time, and especially conservative Christians, say is like we're we're we lost popular opinion we've We've lost lost it we'll never get it back so let's create a war a culture we have to do something and we turn to politics we we turn to political control which is interesting so the idea is that okay maybe politics can redo culture even though so culture's gone usually you think of politics being downstream from culture well here's the premise that uh here's the premise that that uh noel would make okay that the attempt uh, was not to remake culture but the attempt was to redo christendom to say, if we have political power and we rule, we'll set the rules. Okay, so it's not even necessary to change people in any sort of internal way. It's just top-down. Exactly. We'll just legislate exactly. Christianity. Let's get this power and we'll enforce righteousness. Right. So if they're not going to go along with it with their own free choice, we'll just make it the law. Exactly. Okay. And, uh, and, and, so, um, and so Billy Graham's uh, international movement to Lucerne and the international global evangelism, which he carried on for the rest of his life, was one thing. 
But then the National Evangelical Association really became the moral majority renamed evangelical. And that's what many people hear as evangelical today. So you're marking a split then. And yes. you're following Billy Graham as someone who saw better. And Historically, historical evangelicalism uh, went the way with Billy Graham and did not was not um, was not wholeheartedly into the moral majority. So, and you and I would at least typically have identified ourselves with historical evangelicalism, right? Exactly. And so, when we see Billy Graham being wise enough not to marry these two realities after having been burned and duped by political power and by being the private pastor to the president, which is this, he, he writes about this in his book. He, yes. he talks about this At the experience. bedside with Lyndon Johnson on their knees praying. Yeah, he yeah. talks about how, how he believed that experience until he, he realized that he had been being played um, by these figures, by Nixon in particular. Yes. Um, and so then Graham is, is sort of tried to be drafted into the moral majority. He's later on, he's an older man, but he is still the Billy Graham, right? He's still this figure of evangelicalism. And he does not go along with the That's moral majority. Right. He says, I'm not going that direction. He associates with the Lausanne Convention, which is a, a international body of historical evangelical conviction. It avoids the American political context as being anything his name will be joined to. And he goes global. He starts having crusades in other countries. He, and he they're takes wi off. <laughs> wildly, wildly popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, okay, so, so the, he didn't take the political turn. Right. Okay. So we're still in the political turn because we're, we're, we're like, you know, here we are like 30, almost 40 years later, and, and the political domination is about to, about to descend on us. Uh, the Christendom uh, call is getting strong. And, uh, but, but even our Christianity has, has lost basically all of its credibility. You're talking about right now. Uh, right now. Okay. The credibility is gone. And the moral credibility is gone. Uh, the, the, I mean, culture is looking at uh, is looking at cultic personality figures now, and and really, there's going to be a strong reaction to it. It's not persuasive. Uh, any control we think we're going to have as as Christians with with um, with an appointed ruler and appointed judges, it's not going to last. And there's going to be a deficit. There's going to be a, a caving, much like there was after the Scopes trial. Mm. No, no credibility, no legitimacy. And uh, there's got to be uh, an intellectual honesty amongst believers. Believers have to reestablish intellectual honesty uh, and apart from political partisanship, apart from the grabbing of power, political power. Uh, there's got to be this this uh, genuine contribution that Christians make to culture, uh, and and it's and the life of the mind is extremely important to it. It's like without the credibility that you can think, you're just going to be tagged as a cultist, rightfully so, mm. where you've separated reason from piety, and you don't believe the two go together, and you're just going to be pious and demand everybody else be pious. And you have no thought life. You mm. have no, you have no uh, genuine, honest place in this world to say, 
this is what I believe and this is why I believe it and this is how I can defend it and this is how I see it. This is how I'm not tricked and deluded by, by spiritual things that are evil. Mm. This is how I discern truth and reality. Uh, you know, those types of Christians are the future of Christianity, mm. maybe the future of evangelicalism, if it has a future. Yeah, and so you, I mean, your read on evangelicalism, by and large, is that it's it's done. I, it's That it's, mm. it's completely lost its credibility, it's lost its any power, any kind of cultural legacy it had. Uh, from well, I hope this doesn't come across as an opinion. I mean, this is what's happened in the world. Just I mean, a description. Unless you live in a, in a <laughs> particular bubble, fair, fair enough. <laughs> which are out there, yeah, I mean, you yeah. know that, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a crazy, crazy um, political time where there's just partisanship everywhere, right. and people can smell it a mile away. And you're saying even for those who have gone all in with that power grab an attempt to legislate or re-legislate moral Christianity back into culture that which which we have lost I mean culture is not is not uh there was no cultural victory right uh Christianity no, did no not long-range victory right. at all so so in the minority position of culture you're saying just as we've seen with these other cycles oh, through America's history there's this same attempt to grasp at a political power that goes top down since we weren't able to win bottom up from actually yes. influencing people yes. or our neighbors or whatever. Yes. Um, so you're saying any gains, even if there are apparent or seemingly legislative gains or appointment gains of judges, things like that, any of those gains are not going to matter because the culture is completely against those positions by and large. And in our system, we'll just have a few years before we'll vote those things back out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And and the overwhelming majority of people have certain beliefs that are against what we're trying to establish as in the quote quote Christian name. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it's not going to stand. It's it's uh, it's obviously being done by smoke and mirrors. It's being done by a by a con game. Uh, but you know, that's my personal opinion. But uh, but uh, you're not going to have people who who have honest feelings and honest minds uh, they're not going to buy this this is not this is not the way americans say uh yeah i like that i'm going to go along with that uh and and this is not the way to present christ either Mm. you don't present christ at the tip of a sword Mm. uh and and uh so so but what's what we're going to be left with is this vacuum right. of intellectual presence, hmm. and and so but it's already starting to turn a little bit. And I would just encourage anybody out there who's millennial or or younger, uh, take your education seriously, uh, take the life of your mind seriously, walk with Jesus as deep as you can. Those two go hand in hand with each other, and the Lord will use you in the future. <laughs> Uh, not politically, uh, but he will use you as a person, as an individual who will have powerful sway over those who are looking for for real, honest truth bearers, and uh, and and they will they will understand who your God is. There are already some some people out there who are who are who are demonstrating how this is done. Uh, I was reading this morning about an evangelical um, a scientist. Uh, and she uh, is a top American climate scientist. 
and she's evangelical, unashamedly evangelical. And she is going around um, uh, lecturing and helping people understand the scientific basis for the concern about climate change, that it's a real thing. And so she's helping climate change deniers to, through science, she is a climatologist, to see how uh, it is to our advantage to take care of the resources God has created, to not put our head in the sand or sell out to material interests and, and uh, you know, and, 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 and here's an example of uh, uh, Catherine Hayhoe, who is an evangelical Christian with a mind and a brain and has a science behind her that's not partisan politics and is also relevant to contemporary life. Uh, and, and I think that in all facets of life that are real new battles, and I'm not talking about the old battles that were lost or won or partially lost or won in the last generation, but the battles we got coming up, uh, there, there needs to be a mind. There needs to be an evangelical mind, a Christian mind there. People who have honestly done the work of, of learning and basing their learning on the truth and, and knowing uh, how to express that truth and, and, uh, and, and realize the perspective that God has given them by settling their life issue of, of redemption with Christ that stability and that security being able to use their intellectual skill to bless others to help others to lead others to guide others uh, that's going to be the, the the inspiration and the motivation for a next for the next generation uh, we're not going to uh, arm them with conquistador helmets and swords and tell them to go out and conquer in the name of christ mm. that isn't that isn't like that isn't american to do that mm. American is to say, we're going to be as smart as we can. We're going to walk with Jesus as, as long as we can and as deeply as we can. And we're going to bless other people with the truth and, and, and ultimately the truth of Christ. So that's why I'm kind of optimistic and excited about hmm. this repeating pattern. But here's the, here's the caveat. In the previous two awakenings, there's been a, a huge presence of Protestant Christianity in America, uh, a body of Christ, as it were, where that is now, whether there is still such a large presence. I mean, according to the polls, there is, but everybody says they're a Christian. Mm. <laughs> but are they walking with the Lord? Are they, are they reading their scripture? Are they truly grounded in the word? Uh, and if, if there is a large uh, portion of America that is doing that, then evangelicalism, historical evangelicalism, will revive. It will revive because the Spirit of God will revive it. Uh, and, and if not, you know, that, that's the question mark in my mind. It doesn't matter as far as the individual goes. You've got to walk with the Lord and, and nurture the life of your mind to be a witness at all. Right. And whether you're a witness in the next revival or a witness at the end of time, you got to be a witness, and the way to do it is through intellectual honesty and integrity. And so for those who, because so many do despair, I mean, you know, just younger, uh, there's a mass exodus of evangelicals from Southern Baptist reported they lost 200,000 people last year alone, and there's a growing group of ex-evangelicals who congregate to talk about all their trauma from leaving evangelicalism. 
there's this there's this sense of it of of of, of everyone sort of moving away or abandon you know and the, the especially the younger generation like you had said before yeah. um so you're saying whether or not there is a, a latent uh evangelical christianity that is that still has some even dormant legitimacy is not clear yet if that if there's something there to even be revived well america moved away from fundamentalism and and it and it regathered around neo-evangelicalism hmm. and in the same in the same process intellectualism will have a role in that uh, this this type of moral majority evangelicalism it's not going to prevail long term and their hope is that this is the end of time and, and this is it. Right. So, so it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about anything. Let's just force them by the tip of the sword to believe in Jesus and, do, and be righteous. Right. It's really important back to the dispensational model of end times yes. and rapture and everything else that we don't have to be concerned with much of a long view of things because everything's about to end yes. at any moment. And and we've so we've put all our chips on the table. So we're betting on this is this is the end of time. We're betting on it. So we don't even care what anybody thinks of us. Mm. We don't even care uh, if if there's justice and, and righteousness and, and we don't even care about uh, those that are outside the body of Christ. They're going to be judged and they're they're one step closer to hell. In fact, they're very close to hell. So mm. get on board or fry. Mm. That's a mentality and a mindset that's very cultic. Yeah. And it's very, very much desperate. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I say that because and that people that have that mindset are not evil intended. They've just totally bought into anti-intellectualism and anti-modernism. And uh, they've combined the forces and it drives them now. It blinds them to the, to the place that God puts us in this world. And your encouragement then, as you uh, alluded to, is take the long view instead of maybe um just being all undone about that scenario that you just described which can be really frustrating can be exhausting to even try to resist or deal with this new fundamentalism or this new the new wave of moral majority zeal um for those who aren't feeling like they should go in that direction do see it as problematic and deep in historical ways you're saying maybe an encouragement is for for those like us to take the long view and, and not get caught up in reacting to the reactionaries and, and, and spending all that time and energy on, on re-attacking the political arguments of those who have already gone to political wizards. Yeah, th these things are like viruses. They, yeah. They're not alive, but they can be activated in any generation and time, and they, and they just absorb those that get, get around them. But yeah, the, I mean, climate change is, is the evolutionary theory of our time. Mm. And, and you can't say, well, I, I, uh, you know, there's people hysterical about climate change, so none of it's true. You can't just react to it and fight it with reaction. Uh, there's a science to it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, there's people hysterical about it, and they shouldn't be hysterical about it. But it's real, and, and uh, here's the effects of it, and most Americans can see the effects of it, and they know the effects of it. So... So uh, the evangelical mind doesn't say, you know, you're going to you can't pass all these laws. You can't try to clean up the air. Uh, you know, the weather will change. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that's just that's just abandoning your mind. That's just giving up your mind. Better would be to say what's true here, what's real here, what can be scientifically shown to be true about the rising temperatures of the earth and man's role in it. Uh, what can we do to help 
man, uh, mankind? What can we help? Can we do anything about it? Uh, and I'm not saying we can for sure, uh, but I think we can. And and so the mind then plays an important role in that. And if if uh, if this isn't the end of time, and there is a 2025, and there is a 2030, mm. and the temperature is warmer, and the floods are higher, and the storms are worse, maybe there'll be evangelical Christians around who could say, yeah, here's what we can do. Mm. Here's what we can do that makes sense, that can be defended and, and defended scientifically. And so on in every area of our life. And there are a lot of areas of life that if we abandon, if we abandon them to, to uh, just writing them off as, as, uh, and, and being into anti-intellectual about them, we will leave culture without a, a Christian witness. And you're talking about things that may be on the near horizon, but may not be getting all the oxygen in the room over the political debates, like things like bioethics issues that are coming down that are going to be oh, unbelievably complex about yeah. gene editing. Feeding and, the world, yes. Right, right. And just about addressing things. So being in a position, I think you had said, for younger uh, Christians to be investing in their education, investing in their minds, not getting swept up into the hype of this moment, but playing this this longer game of of being prepared to have reasonable Christian witness and and participation in the real crises that will be coming. Dave, in every area of life, I mean, the conspiracy theories used to be just among Christians, the Illuminati. <laughs> Everyone's got their conspiracy theory now. Yeah. I read yesterday where there's a million people are going to overrun Area 51, Area 51 because they think that it's we're holding... <laughs> Aliens hostage there. We got to get okay. them back. Yeah. So, so there's so, <laughs> so the, every area of of life. There's got to be people that are that are based in the truth and not just reacting to everything. Just saying, look at how crazy they've gone. Look at look at this and look at that. Uh, just in conspiracy theories alone, it's been 50 years today since we uh, launched a rocket to land on the moon. There are Christians who don't believe we landed on the moon still 50 years later. I mean, we got moon rocks and pictures, <laughs> man. And, you know, we got strange. science for it. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, you know, and, and people believe all types of spiritual things that are, that are not grounded in truth. I believe they're real things, but they're not spiritually pure and they're mm. not from God. Mm. Uh, they're spiritual, all right, but mm. demonic influence behind them. Mm. And, uh, and so there's just a Christian presence needed. Uh, even if even if uh, the decline of the Gentiles toward Christ uh, falls off the table and not a lot of people want Christ anymore, mm. you still have to serve uh, the Lord where you're at, where he's planted you. And uh, so even if you, you just view it as a few lonely people walking with Christ, but but learning their P's and Q's and learning their alphabet, learning their Greek alphabet, yeah. uh, reading the classics, reading the literature. Uh, let's get uh, let's get serious about human history where it's been, and, uh, and, and just be there as a witness to Christ, a light for Christ. And uh, I, I think it's a, it's, a great, um, it's a great inspiration to feed your mind along with your spirit and uh, walk with the Lord and, and, and learn everything you can and, and just be an actively energetic uh, intellectually engaged person. Mm. Let's give uh, let's give the last word to some comments that that Noel made um, when pushed for something like that kind of hope. Um, 
He said, for a Christian in the evangelical tradition, historic evangelical tradition, the enduring answer of participating in society must come from considering Jesus Christ as the one who sustains the world and all that is in it. In the light of Christ, we can undertake a wholehearted, unabashed, and unembarrassed effort to understand this world. In a mind fixed on him, there is intrinsic hope for the development of intellectual seriousness intellectual integrity and intellectual gravity thank you john my pleasure Dave. and thank you for joining us and i hope you will join us on the next episode thank you so much for joining us today everybody if you found any of this interesting we do hope you will share the podcast that you will rate us on itunes with those five sweet stars and and that you will subscribe and that you will tell your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your mother Lois to subscribe. And your sweet, sweet grandmother, old grandmother Eunice. Eunice should definitely subscribe. Until next time, may you live well, think well, and love well. Godspeed.